So I got an email today. Uh-huh. And it was from Lola's teacher. Uh-huh. And the first sentence was, per my last email. <laughs> you got per my last emailed by Lola's teacher? By Lola's teacher, which is like basically being like, bitch, what didn't you understand the first time I sent this information? It's like, yeah, bitch, I already told you all this. Now what? <laughs> Marsh. Hi, Patricia. You guys, welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, the podcast where Ellen Marsh and I tell the stories of missing people by recapping the episode of IDs Disappeared that covered their case. Oh, you do that so well. You know what I thought of another one? What? As you are no doubt aware. <laughs> As you are no doubt aware, which is like, I am telling you information you know you already know. Okay, I just had to get that off my chest. Okay. As you are no doubt aware. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> uh, breaking news, girl. Unfortunately, Daisy Speedy Clam will not be attending Friday Night Live as she's no longer with us on this godly earth. I know. At, when you hear this, we will have already announced this on Friday Night Love. <laughs> Daisy Speedy Clam is no more. Did you eat her? I love clams. No, she stank. It was like she was, are clams alive? Are they living things? They're mollusks. <laughs> so, <laughs> they're, they're alive. Hey, do you want to tell the people about the Facebook group? If you want to come to the Facebook group, we are there. Uh, it's Obsessed with Disappeared Facebook group discussion <laughs> podcast. You can Google it, whatever. And we are also on Instagram at the Disappeared Pod. And we're also on Twitter at Who Knows? We're on Twitter. You guys know better than we do. We I started a Twitter page just because I thought we should have one. I never learned what it was. And every time I see it, we're at like a thousand followers on Twitter. Yeah. But every Friday night, we go live on Instagram. We talk about the episode of the week. We figure out why Patrick allows a disgusting hamster in his house. We catch up and we have a lot of fun. And we have a new name for Patrick special drink. What is it? It's not Daddy's Happy Juice as Daisy calls it? No. <laughs> it's called the Screamsicle. Oh! It's orange soda and vodka. Don't mind if I do. At our first live show that we'll have in 2024, we'll have Screamsicles for everyone. <laughs> All right, you guys, Disappeared Season 2, Episode 8 tells the story of the disappearance of April Pitzer. A former model and mother of two plans a homecoming after six months in the Mojave Desert. She had real high hopes and she was so excited. She wanted to go see her kids. It was time for her to leave. But she never makes it home. I said, something has happened to April. April's gone. They've done something with her. A harrowing tale begins to unfold. A person made the comment that I know where she's at. She's in a hole. If somebody gets rid of somebody out here in the desert, it's rare they're ever found. Uh, look, girl, all I know is that this whole shenanigans opens with a lot of shots of bugs and insects, and I'm already not happy. I literally wrote, why is ID mad at Patrick with this opening? <laughs> we just see spacious terrain and bugs. Like, I just want, are you okay? I, no! I literally wrote, check on Patrick. <laughs> I'm really not okay. okay. I don't like the outside, but I also don't like images of the outside. Yeah, or the bugs. The bugs no! was a little excessive. Yeah. But Christopher tells us, It's a windy, unforgiving evening in the Mojave Desert in 
May 2004. Unforgiving? <laughs> like me? Because like the Mojave Desert, I hold a grudge. <laughs> so it's May 2004. We get this disappear thing that they do where they start in the middle of a story. And all, all we know is that April Pitzer, 30 years old, is wandering along Old Route 66 in Newberry Springs, California. Is there a new Route 66? <laughs> They keep saying old Route 66. Like, I know. I think old Route 66 isn't that the road that takes you like across the country. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, did they make a new one? <laughs> <laughs> Why do they keep saying that? I don't know. Just four years earlier, in Fort Worth, Texas, April Pitzer was living the life that dreams are made of. Whose dreams exactly? I know. I was. I was. <laughs> I was equally confused and perplexed by that statement. But we rewind four years back in Texas. We meet Gloria Denton, who's a very, very prominent in this documentary, who's April's mom. I keep calling her Mama Gloria. She's very sweet. She's great. Chase loved April. He loved her very much. And she loved him. She tells us that she was married to a man named Chase, and she was pregnant with their first child. Yeah, she was married to Chase. Right, and, and then Chase's yeah. dad. Let me, let me finish, let me finish, let me finish. Chase's uh, dad what? Bought them a home. Right, okay. All right, can I, do you want me to finish, or do you want to just keep steam? rolling me. Been a minute since you've been steamrolled, huh, girl? (laughs) (laughs) Been a minute. Per my last email. Um, (laughs) Is it rude just to like throw Xanax at your face and hope one lands in your mouth? Is that rude or no? Because I think it's acceptable. If we were in the the before or after times, Uh I would just like So she was married to a man named Chase. Apparently Chase's family bought them a home. She was pregnant with their first child when one day on the door came a knock in the DEA from Texas who found her and told her that she needed to come back to Arkansas to be a federal witness. So we learn that when she was 22, she got a DWI and was arrested. Can you you tell this story with the appropriate amount of like, what the fucknitude that needs to be, that needs to be applied to the storytelling? It's so funny because on my FaceTime screen, you're so small on the screen, yet you manage to be hugely irritating. It's just, it's just this little face. Little face, so much sass, so much sass on the screen. The DEA showed up at her residence in Fort Worth and told her she was coming back to Arkansas to be a federal witness. When April was 22 and living in Arkansas, she was arrested for driving while intoxicated. She agreed to become a drug informant rather than face DWI charges. So they give her the option of either going to jail or being like an actual informant in what we're about to find out is like a serious meth ring. I don't think that the options were fully explained to her is all I'm saying. Right, but would if you were given the option of jail time or narc out a bunch of meth heads, what would you do? I... Honey, honey, you would not farewell in jail. <laughs> no, as I've said, I would farewell. Yeah, you jail. would farewell. <laughs> bye. Like, bye. No. <laughs> Baby girl, you cannot in any any stage of your life go to jail. Because that's the end. That would be the end of this podcast for sure. Also, life as you know it. No, of course you're gonna narc someone out. Plus, she's turning in a meth ring. We don't need meth in the world. I agree. But I'm just saying, like, we're going to find out how serious this is in just a minute. Right. So, okay. So this guy knocks on the door and says, girl, you're coming with me. They go back to wherever the fuck. Her testimony puts away, like, they say,
say dozens and dozens. It's 32, it's 32 people she puts away. And she puts away these like meth people. These like meth, what do you call them? Meth makers. Meth, ma- meth, meth makers. Meth, meth makers. Yeah, let's go with that. So she goes and does it and she comes back and basically her life like falls apart. And she was never the same. She looked over her shoulder everywhere she went. She wouldn't even let her girls sleep in their rooms because she was scared somebody was going to come through the windows and kill them. And all of this paranoia started really taking its toll on her marriage itself. We learned that April is also dealing with like mental health issues and she's bipolar and she's finally diagnosed. But like it's a little bit too late for her marriage. Like the marriage just kind of completely falls apart. Right. So she leaves her husband and she takes the girls. They move into an apartment. She starts working at a gas station. Like you can tell already this story needs some like ominous music to go with it because it's just (laughs) not going in a good way. So then we learn that Chase's parents takes away her kids because of her bipolar status. So it didn't sound permanent the way she explained it though, right? I I don't know and it's also like, where's Chase? Right. Why are the kids going to the grandparents and not the dad? Yeah, so we learn at that time that April starts socializing with like a different crowd and then we get a (laughs) smash cut to cigarettes and beer. I was like, a different crowd. Quigget, just something you hold a cigarette and you hold a beer. You guys are shady kids. Characters. <laughs> like it was just the weirdest thing. I mean, this is not as bad as it gets. I but know. like all of a sudden she's drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. I met April uh, back sometime uh, in Texas. I was at a friend's house and uh, we're having a little social gathering. We meet this guy named John Lopez, who I can only describe him as like a poor bastard or maybe a sad son of a bitch. It looks like he's had some hard years (laughs) and maybe the elements weren't so kind to him. That's all I could think of. So he meets April and they become like boyfriend, girlfriend, and he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy that like... How do I say that? Like a young, attractive woman would necessarily fall for for the long term. Right, right. They decided to go out just to, uh, you know, mingle and uh, have a few drinks and have a good time. John tells us that they would go out and mingle, but I was convinced he said we would go out to bingo because we know that she leaves him. And I was like, wow, way to, way to keep it interesting, John. You're taking your, like, hot new girlfriend to bingo? I mean, <laughs> I'd take bingo at this point. <laughs> Listen, give me a good old-fashioned drag bingo on a Saturday night, girl. Aw, remember the fun? Just a few months later, John starts making plans to leave Texas and go back west. I asked her if she wanted to come out to California and have a different uh, view of the world, you know. And she decided to, to come out with me. It's December 2003, and April Pitzer leaves Texas temporarily to clear her head. April leaves Texas to go to California. They say to temporarily clear her head. Like, if you want to clear your head, like, go to the spa. Smoke some weed if you want to. But, like, don't (laughs) move away from your children. You're such a grandma pothead. (laughs) I need you to shut the fuck up because nobody asked you, bitch. I need you to shut the fuck up, bitch. Shut the fuck up, bitch. Okay. (laughs) Okay. But they go to this, like, Mohawk Mojave Desert Town, and Christopher says to us, The Mojave Desert is at once enticing 
and dangerous. All we're seeing is images of bugs and abandoned stoves. Show me the enticing part of the desert, Christopher, girl. Show me the ent- What's enticing? Christopher, what's enticing? Guys, I just read what they tell me. And then he, then he says, Explorers and travelers alike have gravitated to the desert for decades in the hopes of realizing dreams at any cost. And I'm like, I literally don't understand. Like, I, you look at this barren wasteland and you're kind of Those like- Those are like the flyover parts, right? The drive-by parts, the flyover <laughs> parts. Like, no one's like, you know where Wait, I Wait, are we wanna... talking about your body or are we talking about the desert? They're, they're one of the same. El mismo. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> So, like, they get there and they realize that, like, girl, the desert is vast. Am I? Would you agree? (laughs) Do you know how many times they say vast in this episode? Two separate times. It's vast space, girl. But once there, April realizes opportunities for an outsider are scarce. With so much space and little opportunity for legitimate employment, the desert can be a playground for criminal activity. And then it's just cue meth smoking. Like, we went from cigarettes and beer. But, like, someone is actually, like, smoking a meth pipe. I mean, I'm sure it's not real. But, like, I love Audie's authenticity. I love ID's authenticity. They're like, it's like casting someone to smoke a meth pipe. Must be real meth pipe. Also, do we want to talk about the shooting of this episode in general? Yeah. I literally texted you this morning and I was like, I feel like this episode was directed by Quentin Tarantino. I don't know what's going on in this episode, but it feels like a completely different show. Yeah, I feel like they like threw a bone to like a young film student. Totally. And they were like, do what you can with this. And the film student was like, I'm going to make this super artsy. Totally. We're going to make the <laughs> desert look really vast. We're going to give you our standard episode budget of $47.88. Go with God. And that's for actors and craft service. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but it really, this episode feels like it's not even a part of the series. It feels so different. Both of us said that when we talked on the phone earlier today. You were like, this one was weird, right? <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. One night, at a party in the desert outside of Barstow, April meets a man who will change the course of her life. You guys, she's at a party in the desert. <laughs> I get, I was like, is that Burning Man? I feel I, like that's what Burning Man is. Are you, at, are you at Burning Man, April? She's at a party in the desert. <laughs> And she meets a guy who randomly says, come live at my trailer park. But we are told by 800 people that, like, this is a man that's going to change the course of her life. There's an instant and intense attraction. We never meet the guy. Right. We never learn really how he changed her life. He's not in the episode. Like, he's given a lot of importance in this moment, and then we never see him again. Yeah. So, and listen, I am the most suspicious person ever. Like, I'm suspicious of everyone. You are a serial killer until proven otherwise. And she's like, okay, I'll go live in your trailer with you, my dude. Like, how does that evolution happen? I think when you're an addict and you have, I say this from like knowing addicts and you have nowhere to go, nowhere to sleep. And also like that guy, John's just kind of weird and boring. And I don't think she wants to live with him anymore. Yeah. Plus, Christopher already told us there was an instant and intense attraction. Sometimes I think you're not listening to Christopher. Christopher and I talk all day about you. What do you say? Christopher, what do we say? I don't believe you were a medium-sized tarp before quarantine. (gasps) Christopher! I love you, Christopher. Girl, I love you too, girl. With a new man on the scene, 
April and John's relationship goes sour. I mean, we all saw this coming, right? Yeah, I mean, it was... We knew that April and John weren't forever. <laughs> yeah, I hope they didn't get tattoos, honestly. No. <laughs> so she moves, I guess, 20 miles away with mystery trailer guy on a motorcycle guy. Yeah. And it turns out this trailer park wasn't as great as the offer seemed. Yeah, we meet this guy, Steve Wilkerson, who lives in that area. And Steve says to us, she's like... The house I lived up in was right up on the road. And uh, she was staying back there with her boyfriend. Her boyfriend and Rina's brother had been arrested quite a bit. Uh, I've been arrested a few times for drug cases. Yeah, I love the way our friend Steve is so lackluster about explaining his criminal record. <laughs> exactly. He says, he's like, she really stood out here among her new friends with being a loving mother of two with that Southern accent. And it made me think of that episode of the Golden Girls where Rose goes out and gets her new beach friends. And she moves out of the house and she thinks she's going to have this like great life down at the beach. But then she moves in with that flight attendant, Steph, who says to her at one point, and I quote, Rose, we all kind of do our own thing around here. I hope that's okay. I, mm-hmm. I'm i vacillating between terrified but also <laughs> immensely impressed at not only your recollection of the quote, yeah. but also like the secondary character names. Steph, flight attendant Steph. Okay. You, <laughs> you scare me. All to say that Steven talks about getting arrested like he's giving me an Instapot recipe. I like know. we would be the worst arrested people ever. Oh my God. Could you imagine? No, we've already been over the fact that I would fare well well in jail. No, I mean, I just feel like also I would just like confess everything. Like I'd be like, what? This what? If you just let me go, I'll tell you everything. I always imagine too that I would really ask nicely if they could do the handcuffs in front instead of the back in case my nose itched. And the minute you think about your nose itching, you know what's going to happen? I know. Your goddamn nose is going to itch. Remember the beginning of the pandemic when like no one was ever allowed to touch their face ever again? And all of a sudden your face became like a magnet to your fingers because you're like all I want to do is touch my face (laughs) I have the right to remain silent I just don't have the ability Um... (laughs) three months go by and April's situation is getting increasingly precarious when she and her new boyfriend break up April has nowhere to go with no job and no money April lives day to day never knowing where she will eat or who will offer her a bed for the night. So this is where we are back at the beginning. This is where we started. Right. So this is the day that she's like walking down old Route 66. You okay? You got more questions about it or are you good? I just want to know where the new one is. Keep going. <laughs> she's got nowhere to live. She's got no money. And Christopher tells us... The desert is an ocean separating her from her children. Christopher, can you just not right now? I know. Can you just not the eyes of the windows into the soul? But she's wandering aimlessly down the highway. So this guy pulls up in a truck. You know, she's looking hathered and weathered and worn, which is your drag name. So he picks her up and says the weirdest thing. And she just lost it, started crying and told him her troubles. And he said, I'm taking you home to my mama. What? It's so fucking weird. And it's like this guy takes... Takes her home and like introduces her to his elderly mother. Her name is Barbara Kilbrew. All of a sudden, Barbara and April are instant best friends. April is just taking care of this woman day in and day out. Right, and I don't understand that because they don't say this unless they said it in the episode and I missed it. Which, by the way, whenever I say I don't listen to the episode or watch the episode, y'all, I'm kidding. <laughs> that is a joke. 
Do you know we we had a message and an iTunes review that says I really like this podcast, but I don't appreciate that Ellen doesn't watch the episodes. I was like, girl, I, I know. Like, have you met me? It's fine, whatever. But I don't understand. Is she like caretaker? She's not living with this woman. This woman doesn't have enough room to house her, but she's being her caretaker. All I know is that this creepy dude with a truck who picked up this homeless woman on the side of the road was unloading his sick elderly mother on this woman. While days are spent with Barbara, April still needs a place to stay at night. Unfortunately, Barbara doesn't have an extra bedroom for her at the house. For shelter, she must rely on the kindness of other friends in Newberry Springs. She'd been staying at my house maybe a couple of weeks or something like that. Because Barbara doesn't even have a couch for her to crash on, she's going back to stay with that guy, Steve. Remember him? Right. She's kind of couch hopping. Yes. She's going from person to person, but she spends a couple weeks with casual drug lord Steve. Yes, casual drug lord. He's so casual. He's casual. <laughs> and so on Tuesday, June 22nd, 2004. In a strange twist of fate, the past has finally caught up with April Pitzer. She met a girl out here in it. Found out that she knew who she was from back east because I guess April was a federal informant back there. And it was on that case that this girl's husband went to prison. Remember when the DEA came knocking on her door and was like, girl, you need to come testify and put away 32 drug lords? Right. She meets this woman and her husband is one of the guys that got sent to jail based on April's testimony. Right. And remember, April previously had been super paranoid, right? She always thought these people were going to come back in some way, shape, or form, hurt her and her family. So she then is like freaking out. Now, this woman, it's all very peculiar. This woman actually doesn't really seem to care. She actually just doesn't want anything to do with April. She was just like overreacting, like over apologize, like every day, like knocking on the door with brownies. Right. And then like knocking on the door with like a gift basket. Yeah. And this woman was like, I don't, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to, I'm not hurting you, but I don't want you in my life. This reminds me of another Golden Girls episode. There was a Golden Girls episode where Rose's co-worker didn't want to be her friend. Yes, sweetheart. Do you want to make another podcast? <laughs> I really want to make a Golden Girls podcast. I, I really know. Do. I know, baby boy. I know. It's okay. I'm going to hold your hand. So Mama Gloria is like... I said, oh my God, April, you got to get out of there. I said, you're going to die. Come home right goddamn now. Here is a bus ticket. Yeah. Come home. And April was like, ah, I'm going to come home. But <laughs> I just want to hang out here for a couple more days. Like, But this is like a thing that happens with April over and over again. It's like, we're told that she makes the decision to go home and then doesn't. And then the mom, like, begs her to come home and she says, yes, but, like, later. Like, yeah. April, girl, just go home, girl. Yeah, she's like, yeah, I want to stay in this uh, sort of sketchy ditch-like <laughs> area with these drug dealers and drug lords, but I will come home. I'm gonna come home. Yes, yeah. So she says, if you're not coming home, do you have a place to stay? I said, April, is there somebody that you trust where you can stay? And she said, Uncle Chuck. Uncle Chuck. I know. Who the fuck's brother is Chuck and why is he your uncle? Cut to Chuck. What looks like to me is a mugshot. Is it a mugshot? I don't know. Chuck. His name is Chuck Hollister. We never meet him. He's known as like a quiet middle-aged man who's known for taking people in who were down on their luck. But he certainly looks like a creepster to me. But doesn't that... It, it, he's smiling in the picture, but it yeah. does look like a mugshot, right? It does look like... Yes. So a week later, Gloria can't find her and calls Chuck to no avail. He wasn't answering his phone. So Mama Gloria is 
is freaking out. Yeah, and as far as we know, this Uncle Chuck guy was the last person to see in April, and no one has seen her in a week. I hate calling him Uncle Chuck. I don't know. I don't believe that that's her biological uncle. <laughs> no, it's not her biological Like That's like the name that like the, the locals gave him. Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're a creepy old man and young women are calling you Uncle Chuck, you yeah. need to choke. Uncle Chuck is Uncle Scary as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Like, no. Sometimes you make a face like a dead robot. Like, sometimes you make a dead robot face. You just did it. Do it. Mimic it. No. You're not going to creatives. I'm sorry. No further interest at this time. That's what they say. When you get a no on Broadway, they say, "Mm, no further interest at this time. They say it to your face? No, they say it like like an email to your agents. They'll be like, oh, what is, is there feedback on Ellen? And they'll just say like, no further interest at this time. I'll be like, okay, bitch, what time are you going to have interest? Because I'll call back then. <laughs> Broadway sounds fun. I'm really sad I didn't spend my life pursuing that. Well, I think that choice was made for you, my love. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you! Then, Gloria finally gets the call she has been anxiously awaiting. It's from Chuck Hollister. And finally, he called me back. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry that I've not been in touch with you. He goes, I've been moving a friend to Oregon. And I said, Chuck, where's April? Monday morning, he got up to go to work. April was still there. Uh, He came home, and April was gone. And uh, he hadn't seen her since. He thought somebody gave her a ride to a bus stop, and uh, she had gone home. So Chuck is the last one to have seen April as far as anyone knows. You know, his story is when he got up whatever Monday morning, April was still there. He went to work and came home and she was gone and he hasn't seen her since. Right. And a very important piece of information that he mentions, which will come up later, he says, I'm sorry, I was moving a friend out of state to Oregon. And Oregon does come up later in the episode. Oh my God. I totally did not put that together. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So a month passes and there's no sign of April. Detectives put up a missing persons posters like all over the area. And this actually works because some bus driver has a poster in his bus and this passenger gets on and like this dick just says to the bus driver, I know where she's at. She's in a hole. And so the bus driver is like, oh, we'll have a lovely day. Runs right to the police. Right. Turns this person in. They go, track this person down and this person's like I'm just kidding like all I know is I overheard at a party somebody say that April was dead but I actually don't remember who said it and they said that she was dead and put in a mine shaft in a mine shaft detectives have a lead at last but the fact that there are over 20,000 mines in San Bernardino County alone is daunting deputy coroner and missing persons coordinator David Van Norman is all too familiar with the area in question. So this is my whole thing. We get all these people. We get this creepy guy, David Van Norman, who's like the the deputy coroner, who we see in his office. He's got a skull on his desk. This guy is fucking weird. And that slow pan from the skeleton to him. I I was like, ID, enough. You you are in a timeout for today with that slow pan from the skeleton. But we learned that like, and everyone tells us over and over and over again, yeah, San Bernardino, the mines are basically a dumping ground. No one's ever finds the bodies when they're out here. To which I said, like, we gotta do something about this, America. Okay, I'm gonna say this calmly like I said in the last episode. I want the town of San Bernardino emptied. (laughs) And I want everybody put into a uniform and forced to search the mines for all the dead bodies. I bet we'll find all the dead bodies we're looking for. They're all in the mines in San Bernardino. There's 20,000 of them. And David Van Norman, the deputy coroner, says the desert is... Fast. Fast. (laughs) 
But my point is, like, Kim Kardashian, spend your zillions of dollars putting together teams of people to go into these caves and find the bodies. We're going to find Amelia Earhart in there. We're going to find Madeline McCann. We're going to find everybody. The next lead comes. This this is really diluted, Christopher. The next lead says. (laughs) Another piece of evidence comes to light, this time from a truck stop 800 miles away in a neighboring state. This is where we come back to Oregon. So there's something written on the men's bathroom that says, if you want to find the missing girl from Arkansas, three miles east of Barstow at the 115 freeway. Yeah. And again, this is 800 miles away. And like somebody reports this. We see a picture of this written on the tile in the men's room. Yeah. And so you guys, they do a ground search of the area that is mentioned in this like wall art. But then they also tell us that they get months and months worth of tapes of all of the men coming in and out of the bathroom. And I thought that was so fucking gross. So gross. Who wants to see that? That's. Just met like a random highway men truck stop. It's like I know. Grossy McGross and his brother Bill. Like, no, thank you. Just like, I just wrote, oh my God, this is my nightmare. It made me think of a story. Can I tell a story? Yeah, I'm going to edit it out, but go for it. Okay. <laughs> When I was a freshman in high school, um, I went on a, a trip with the marching band to Ireland. Okay, and that's, when- where, that's where all stories go to die, but go on. <laughs> and when we were coming back, it was like such a big deal for my little town that the local access TV station, they basically were in the band room waiting for us to return and all the parents were there and they were filming it and they were going to play it on the local access and we watched it like later. And I remember seeing my mother who went up to the band director and like the camera in, in her face I was like, oh, my mom's going to talk to the band director. What's she going to say? And she goes, hello, John. Where do I find the bathroom? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Pam Parker. She's like, wait, rewind it. Rewind it. Let's watch it again. There I am. There I am, Pat. She calls Patrick Pat, by the way. Nobody else in Patrick's life calls him Pat. Hey, Pat. I'm like, who the fuck is Pat? So weird. So Christopher tells us police and April's mother in Arkansas have begun tracking people down who knew April, desperate for any clues that can explain her disappearance on June 28th. April didn't have a phone of her own. Wherever she went, she'd call me collect. I started calling all the phone numbers back. So Gloria, being a down bitch, sat down and called every number back that she called her from. Yeah. And she says with every call, she gets another little bit of information, another little tidbit. But the mines of Ludlow keep coming up. Yeah. Now, there's a mine in Ludlow called Red Dog Man. There's a mine in Ludlow called Red Dog Man. Wait, what? What? There's a mine in Ludlow called Red Dog Mine, and it's owned by a man. Oh, God. Here's our guest star, everyone. It's owned by a man named Dan Dan. I can't even say it. It turns out that Chuck Hollister, the last person known to have seen April alive, has a close friend named Dan Dan who claims to own a mine out in Ludlow called the Red Dog Mine. Yeah, I mean, the only way to describe the photos of his trailer is to basically (laughs) say that the contents of the inside of his trailer are basically on the outside of his trailer. You guys have seen Tara Grinstead's bedroom, right? So imagine (laughs) that, but cleaner. And like, it's spray-painted Red Dog Mine office, which is about as official as you can get. (laughs) You guys, that was the thing that made me laugh the 
the hardest. So we got to tell you about Dan Dan. Dan Dan is a friend of that guy, Chuck. Chuck is the last one that we know saw April alive. And like, he's this guy, he's a hermit. He like doesn't like to be around other people, but like, they describe it as Dan Dan and Chuck. They call them rock hounds. And they basically like, they go into these mines and try to like excavate for like jewels because they make jewelry. I, yeah. Can you imagine the two of them sitting around in their, in their blown out RV making jewelry together? What, like listening to the Indigo Girls and drinking Chardonnay? I'm sure that's not the way it happened, but sure. <laughs> and like, they're all these shacks from like the 1800s and Dan would just go like spray paint his name on it to like claim them as his own. Like, I want to do that. I want to go up to like all the like Panera breads and be like, mine. I don't think he bought anything. I think he just acquired it. I don't think he had like a mortgage or like pay stubs. Dan Dan had been around a long time. When he was younger, he was one of the guys that, you know, and you wouldn't want to cross. And Steve Wilkinson, our resident calm drug dealer, says Dan Dan was one of those guys you didn't want to cross. I, I, I'm, I'm confident in that. I'm going to accept that as fact. I don't need, I don't need a further explanation. I'm good with that. I'm good. So the police decide because this Dan Dan guy is a fucking weirdo and he knows Uncle Molester Chuck, they're going to go investigate him. And, like, of course, they go to his house. He's not there. They leave business cards and missing persons flyers. They eventually, like, get him to talk and he, like, just claims he doesn't know anything. The investigators go to Ludlow and they go check out all these shacks that apparently he's occupied. And he, like, you know the the saying, the the... What what is the saying? It's written on the what is it? The writing's on the wall. What is it? <laughs> the writing is actually on the actual yeah. wall. There was some writing, strange writing on the walls inside. Things about him being a sniper in Vietnam. Things about trespassing on his property. What investigators tell Gloria is bone chilling. One of the sayings were. Three people can keep a secret if two are dead. This is super creepy, so they go and they search the mine that he owns. So they bring in the cadaver dogs and they search the mine and, and they are really convinced that they're going to find her and she's not there. She's not there, you guys. You skip what he wrote on the walls. That was first. Yeah, I didn't really care. You didn't think writing on three people will keep a secret if two are dead wasn't pertinent information <laughs> to share with the people? All right, tell them. I just said it. <laughs> Six months after April Pitzer is last seen in Newberry Springs, California, her mother and police have tried to piece together what might have happened to her. When the deputy coroner learns of April's case and hears the rumor that she could be hidden in a mine, he calls a friend for help. So that creepy deputy coroner, that David Van Norman guy with the skeleton on his desk, he is back and he just really wants to help you guys. He enlists the help of his friend, the local desert lore historian. Who knew that? You guys, there's there's a job for everything. Who knew that was a job? We always say at I'm Obsessed, you can be whatever you want, you guys. Just have faith, believe in yourself. Yeah. But the mom shows up and she is really heartened to know that this guy is here because why, Ellen? Because he knows the desert like the palm of his hand. <laughs> he knows that desert like the palm of his hand. It's a Malfour. Christopher, tell us what a Malfour is. Malfour is an informal term for a mixture of two aphorisms, idioms, or cliches, such as, we'll burn that bridge when we come to it. It's also called an idiom blend. Though why would you call it an idiom blend when you could say Malfour? That's so much better. We love a Malfour. Finally, a year and a half after April went missing, there's a break in the case. In late December of 2005, while leading a tour group through the old mines of Ludlow, 
the historian stumbles upon what will prove to be vital evidence. So the historian here that Christopher's talking about, he's the desert lore historian who we met earlier. He's like friends with the creepy deputy coroner. And I guess this historian just like gives tours of the shacks and mines of the desert. So he's doing one of these tours and he opens one of the like one of the shacks and he sees a bunch of women's clothing like dispersed throughout and he makes everyone leave because he remembers oh my god there's everybody's out like looking for this missing woman maybe these are her clothes this is evidence we got to get people out of here right so mama gloria flies to california at this point she feels like this is a reason for her to fly out she finally comes out and she actually absorbs and realizes the horrible conditions in which she had been living in all this time and so they go to this place called indian Queen Mine and Do you know what I wrote when I wrote that? I'm sure it has something to do with a joke about a queen. Hey! <laughs> That's on their merch. <laughs> <laughs> So they're looking for signs, anything that April had been there or was around there, and Mama Gloria sees. The first thing I seen was a red and black flannel shirt that I seen her. Just flapping in the breeze, a flannel shirt. There was a time when April had said it was a little colder out in the desert that she had anticipated, and Mama Gloria sent her a care package, and that was one of the shirts that was in the package. This is just where, like, Mama Gloria's story starts to go a little off the rails for me, because you get the sense that even... Even the detectives don't quite believe it. Like, you don't know, like maybe she's grasping at straws or she wants it to be her clothing, but she sees it and she takes it as a sign that like April has been here. After a thorough search, investigators feel confident April is not at the Indian Queen. Although the Red Dog Mine was searched by police one year ago, Gloria wants to see it for herself. She asks the coroner, David Van Norman, to take her there. She shudders at what she finds. When I pulled up, the first thing that I seen was the white suitcase that Barbara Killebrew gave April. It was just a flapping in the wind. So, like, when the mom sees that suitcase, the cops are like, yeah, but that wasn't here when we searched this mine a year ago. Yeah. So, if that actually is her suitcase, and you guys, like, we don't even see a picture of it. Like, it could be anything. It could, like, you, when you see the amount of garbage and refrigerators and stoves and junk that is just, like, strewn across the landscape... Who knows if it's really her suitcase? But then Mama Gloria says, like, also her clothes are now, I can see her clothes scattered around. And the cops are like, well, none of this was here when we searched the first time. So right. who put this here? When was it put here? I don't know how the clothing that Gloria says was her daughter's ended up in the desert if it was the same clothes that was at Chuck's house. Police and Gloria may never know the truth. And if it was her stuff, sadly, they can't garner any forensic information because of the elements, because of the extreme heat and the extreme cold. Yeah. So they can't get any information from any of those things that they found. And it's like, as they're saying that to us, I kind of get the sense that they're also like, we also kind of don't think it's hers. I don't know. It's all, again, you know, listen, a mother's job, she's gonna, you know, overturn every rock. She's gonna check everything that she can. She's, you know, doing her best. She flew out from Arkansas, but all to say nothing came of any of that information. So we find out that Chuck at the time had cancer, and they interrogate him one more time, and then he ends up dying of cancer. So we we also get no more information from Chuck. And then Mama Gloria learns that Dan Dan is also dying. And so she goes to see him in the hospital because she's thinking that like if anybody has any information, it might be this Dan Dan guy who was friends with Chuck. She goes to the hospital to see him. We see pictures of it. And like she expects to hate him and instead
instead they just kind of end up crying together? I kept on waiting on that hate to come over me, you know, and it, it just never came. I started crying, and he cried with me. And, you know, he took my hand, and he said, April was a sweetheart, Gloria, and whoever killed that girl needs to be brought to justice. And then right before he dies, Dan actually confesses to other friends that he knows more than he told April's mom, Gloria. He said they were looking in the right place, just not far enough. Which is like, what what everyone takes that to mean is that, like, they were looking in his mind, the one that he definitely does not actually actually own right but they were looking in his mind but they like they hadn't gone deep enough into the mind so tuesday march 18th 2010 we learned that a team of quote volunteer mine enthusiasts yeah can you say something on that what's a mine enthusiast <laughs> people really love mines girl there's a hobby for everybody <laughs> they have the capabilities of repelling 3,000 feet deep into mines if april is farther down in the red dog mine they will find her. They rappel down to the bottom of this mine. 3,000 fucking feet, you guys. 3,000 feet. That's more than half a fucking mile down into the earth. Yeah. That's crazy. And they don't find anything. Yeah. As to this day, April's remains have not been found. She was declared legally deceased in 2012. I mean, that's the whole thing about this area. Like, if, if she was murdered and was put into one of these caves, they will never find her. I want every cave searched. I know. It's so scary. And, you know, I actually found Mama Gloria was very, very well-intentioned. And she's very emotional through this whole documentary. Yeah, yes. And she says the most poignant thing at the end. She talks about missing persons of a certain demographic don't get reported. You know, yes. sex workers, drug addicts. And she said, I don't care. They're lives and they have names. Yeah. And it ends with her saying, You know, I have peace that April's with the Lord. One thing for sure, nobody can hurt her, nobody can take her from me, and she doesn't have to be afraid. You know, listen, week after week, just like seeing how complex and indestructible and resilient the human spirit is, and I don't mean to like quote Celine Dion, but like the power of love. You know, it's like, they're. <laughs> it's true. Love will lead you back. Someday I just know that. <laughs> Different song. Different song entirely. You guys, we did disappear in season two, episode eight. Girl, I, that was a really weird one. Oh, that was so weird. <laughs> you guys, join our Facebook group. It's Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. We Ellen goes in there all the time, actually. She goes live a lot to yell at the listeners. That's a new thing that she does. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I just want to give a shout out. Oh. Can we give a shout out to our teachers? Sure. Our teachers who've all gone back to school and they're so stressed out. We love you, teachers. And I we've know. Got, I've gotten so many messages of people saying that they listen to us, you know, when they're, you know, crying over their glue guns and stuff. I and know. Daisy has the best teachers. We love them. This year has just been so hard and they've had so many adjustments. So I just wanted to give a shout out to teachers today. Yeah, we love the teachers. You, <laughs> you guys, join our Instagram. It's The Disappeared Pod. We go live every Friday night uh, at 6 o'clock Eastern. I get a little drunk. We bring the hamster. Ellen yells at me. She thinks the wrong people are the assassins of presidents. Go on. Any, anything else that happens? No, I'm good. Listen, <laughs> it's your world. I'm just living in it, okay? 
You can follow Ellen Marsh at Ellen Marsh. You can follow me at Patrick Hines underscore. Follow the show at The Disappeared Pod. If you're a conservative, follow Donald Trump at Joe Biden and give generously. That's your favorite joke. It's my favorite joke. It's never going away. I know. Away. <laughs> it's never going to go away. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. We love you. I love you, Patricia. I love you, girl. And uh, everyone be safe and wear a mask. We love you. All right, bye. I love it also when someone like lists a bunch of facts and then they go, please advise. <laughs> oh my God. Per my last email, there is no other thing that makes my butt clinch faster than per my last email. Because I was like, what did I miss? What am I missing? I, I just wrote, wait, I'm looking at my notes. I thought she was from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> no one's spell checking my notes. She was from Texas. I mean, you could look back at the history of my men that I've had in my life. Look, I would buy that calendar. I'm not saying that I wouldn't buy that calendar. I absolutely would. This shit just comes to me, Patrick. When the gold comes out, you just got to scoop it up and make a necklace out of it. What am I talking about? I'm not even going to intervene on that one. I'm going to let you have that all by yourself, baby girl. That's a big boy. <laughs> I scuba dive. When Travis and I were on cruise ships, we used to scuba dive. So you're saying you would take your shirt off and get in the water? Patrick, we're yeah. not talking about my ex-husband today. Let's finish this story. <laughs> 